Hey, welcome back underground. We are in week two of a conversation around formation. Uh, so how do we move, you know, from entering into the kingdom to more awareness of the fullness of the kingdom in our lives? And last week we had a great conversation just around uh, what, what are the ways that the underground uses different tools to help in that formation? Um, I don't know why I stumbled so much trying to get that out. Anyway, uh, this week we said we would get into the story diamond. We would tell you a little bit more about how we use the story diamond or the story rhombus, depending on your feelings about go, go cash. the two-dimensional shape that we use. Uh, but before we get there, <laughs> I promise we're going to do the story diamond in this episode. But before we get there... Uh, when hey, we, since we brought up cash, why don't we just pivot and talk we, about Johnny Cash for a while first? I mean, we could we could do that. I don't I don't know how helpful that would be in equipping missionaries and microchurch leaders. But. I, I was just doing a squirrel moment for you, <laughs> squirrel. Um, when we signed off last week, Rob, you were talking about uh, just the 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 pieces of uh, what'd you say? We we have read scripture predominantly through kind of a doctrinal lens reading through systematic theology, that sort of thing. Explain to me what you're saying again about uh, how we've read the scripture that way. So the church, if you look at, you know, the different seasons in, or ages, you know, of the church. Mm, ages. You, yeah. So, for example, there's the medieval age. They had a particular way of doing theology during that time that most of us now look back on and go, <laughs> I mean, there's some crazy stuff, you know, where it's so fanciful and it's all about the metaphor and it, and there are some rich treasures in there, but now we sort of look back and go, well, there's some real liabilities in reading the Bible that way. Right. And, and it's very hard to be self-reflective about the age that you're in because mm. you're in it. Right. It's the water you're swimming in. So, so with, somebody's going to laugh at us like that one day. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're in this epoch, like this transition between modernism and postmodernism. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, and so um, systematic theology was um, birthed out of that uh, age. Mm. You know, so again, science, the goal is, all right, we're going to understand something, dissect it, figure out the component parts, organize it, find the rules, the principles. Um, and then, you know, a good science book is very well organized um, right. into those different categories and then the underlying subpoints. And so there was a desire and it's a good desire, an important desire, because there is an, a blessing of every age is like, how, how do we understand um, orthodox doctrine about like who, the doctrine of God, who is God, what is his nature, his character, in his ways or the sovereignty of God, you know, mm -hmm. and there began to be a more and more elaborate development of um, systematic theology. And the challenge is, is when, when that becomes the primary way of studying or understanding the scripture, um, it, it can become a primarily intellectual pursuit. Uh, secondly, we lose track of the, the narrative, the biblical narrative, mm -hmm. you know, when, and we always have to remember that the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Oh yeah. That's good. 
And so we have to return to, okay, what was this for the original audience? Mm -hmm. And it was the story Mm -hmm. like for Israel. This is the story that tells us who God is, who we are, what God has done, what he's currently doing, what he's going to do. Um, It shows us how we should live. And I feel that we, if we want to, you know, sort of, undomesticate the Bible from our modern era expectations, you know, and try to make do some things that maybe it wasn't even really designed to do. Like we have to return to what was its original intent, its original audience. Um, And it was first and foremost for them, like the capital S story. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, to show us who God is, who we are, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do and how we should live. Yeah. And then secondarily, yes, let's do systematic theology. Let's under yeah. now let's look comprehensively across right. the testimony of scripture to understand these different important categories, yeah. you know, and to think rightly about them. So I think it, that's kind of our attempt with the story diamond. Let's how do we scale that down and make it simple for every disciple to be able to know that, comprehend it, and reproduce it in someone else's life? Yeah, I think that going back to what you just said too is like we we tend to pick an idea and then run through scripture and find out how we can confirm or affirm or whatever that idea rather than seeing the larger story and then stepping down into it and i think we read the text that way so often right it's like we 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 read a little piece and we are not always thinking about the larger like we don't approach it from the larger story now we do talk about how it is important to you know, when you're studying a passage and you're doing a deep dive on a passage, start with that passage and then go to the surrounding chapters and then the book and then, right, then the, whether you're in the New Testament or the Old Testament and then the, the larger covenant uh, or the larger entire story. But it's so important every time we come to Scripture to remember that it is one big story. Uh, and that's what we're going to do here. We're just going to walk through kind of a short summary of what the story diamond is. One more little piece, though, before we go into that. Uh, I know you were talking as well about, let's be careful about this word story and the definition or the image you have in your mind. Let's talk about first what we don't mean when we say that it's a story. Yeah, there there's a couple dangers there. One would be what, you know, you and I sort of a fiction called the veggie tales way of reading the Bible, which is like, Oh, here's a story. We kind of atomize the Bible into a bunch of these different little stories. Mm-hmm. And I read the story and then there's a principle. And a lot of us grew up in churches that weren't driven actually by systematic theology in terms of teaching or even expository. It's more been topical. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we kind of grab this passage or this story and then what's the big idea. Yeah. And then let's go and do that this week. The, the danger of that then is, it's like a form of moralism. Yeah. You know, it's almost like self-help, like here's the story and here's the principle. And now I'm going to go try and do that. Uh, Because if I'm not doing it out of who God is, my identity in Christ and out of the narrative flow, then it will probably become a self-help endeavor. Mm -hmm. And that's why Paul, you know, will, uh, for example, it's like, okay, Ephesians one through three, (laughs) like, I'm going to give you, again, the meta narrative and who God is and who we are, and what he's up to in the world. And then I'm going to say, okay, now, how do you do marriage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do at work? What do you do at, see what I mean? There's yep. implications that come out of that. That's right. Um, so when we say story, we're, we mean 
that. Yeah. Like, let's understand the actual meta narrative, um, the biblical narrative, and not just get stuck into these little, you know, micro stories. Although those are important as long as they're yeah. within the context of the larger story. The second thing is, you know, a very liberal view of narrative theology is the Bible is a story, a wonderful myth that we might find meaning and purpose in. And what we're not saying is that there are no historical points of grounding in right. this story. Right. Like what we want to honor is the fact that first of all, there's lots of different genres within the Bible mm -hmm. and we have to honor those genres. So right. like if you're reading apocalyptic literature and you're trying to read it literally, you're right. actually, it's unbiblical. Yeah, yeah, like you're yeah. disrespecting yeah. the Bible, but there's a lot of eschatology in the last 30 or 40 years is like, we're reading apocalyptic literature and we're literally trying to make it literal. Like it's a Hollywood movie, right? Yeah. you know, and I'm trying to tease it all out. Um, we're, we must learn to read the story in a way that's grounded in both its literary context and then also its historical context. Yep. And significant portions of the scripture are historical, like the New yep. Testament documents, like the gospels are outstanding historical documents that are telling us about what actually happened. Right. 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 And then there's other ways that ancient people did history. Um, that is really uncomfortable to us. Right. Yeah. You know, like when we think of history, we're thinking about news reporting, like it's a video camera and we're trying to get it unobjective. Literally like, 154 people are missing. Like that's exactly the, you know, like it's very straightforward. We can nail it down and say, this is what is happening in this moment. Yep. But when they use numbers. And, they yeah. Don't. And they, the ancients didn't do history that way. They just pretty much wanted to i'm sorry i got distracted that's oh, all right let me see this honey what is this oh okay awesome okay when what's the date i don't know read the okay awesome we will order this pronto you bet love you huh you said um, when the ancients did history yeah yeah so when the ancients did history they it was a um they had a theological agenda is the way we would say it right so Israel is receiving a recounting of their history, but the goal is to give a deep understanding about who their God is and how he's at work among them and what his um, expectations and hopes and dreams for them are. Uh, so they're not just trying to do quote unquote objective, you know, um, documentary style, mm. you know, just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we could spend all day talking about that. We just want to say for us, the biblical narrative um, is the defining meta narrative and the most important parts, which are the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and the Bible does say there are parts of the Bible that are more important than others. There are parts of the Bible that actually define and interpret the others. And ultimately, Jesus is the um interpretive rosetta stone his life his death his resurrection for everything else you know we're reading the bible through the ones of jesus which we're going to get into and that is straight out history it's not like it's a wonderful story like santa claus that will help bring more meaning to your life 
Right. <laughs> it will bring more meaning to your life, but it's also grounded. <laughs> so <laughs> let's do this. Uh, let's jump into the story diamond. So we're going to kind of do a, a hybrid. If you go to caseyunderground.org and you go to uh, resources uh, tab at the top and click that and scroll down, we actually have this on our page. So you can access it. You can walk through it. You can learn it. You can journey through this with other people. Uh, so you can go check that out there. We give you uh, a little bit of that best practices for using the story diamond. We talked about that last week, how it's a picture, a mirror, and a window. We give you kind of some instructions on how to learn it yourself first, how to journey with other people in it. And then we've got a four-minute summary of the story diamond, and then we've got what we call the extended version of the story diamond. So today we're going to do a little bit of a hybrid of the two. We'll slow down in some places and we'll run quickly through other places. So it'll be a mixture of these two ideas, but here it is. So if you ever hand this off to somebody, just tell them to jump into, I don't know, about 12, 13 minutes in. (laughs) If you remember, here's the story diamond. So uh, let's start it out, Rob. Tell me about the story diamond. Disciple me, form me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, it it begins with some reflection on this question. What, what story am I currently living within? And uh, in other words, what's, what's the dominant story for your life? So Brian, what are you think, what are some of the influences that um, define the dominant story for people? Um, well, your family you know, the type of family you grow up in informs your life. Um, culture you grow up in, right? Defo- like those things um, are are important things that bring understanding. Um, I assume your your hopes, your dreams, right? Like the way that you see the world and what, what you want uh, to see happen in your life begins to inform that, right? Are these the, am I answering it right? Yeah, right on. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's easy, again, the, the dominant story we're living in is the water we're swimming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes we're not really thinking about what it is. It's It can be, our dominant story can be unquestioned, you know, mm-hmm. and what we're saying is, um, you know, the unreflective life is the life that as Thoreau said leads to, you know, quiet desperation, Hmm. you know? And so we're inviting people like, what is your, we want your, you know, if I was sharing with someone, I do, I'm like, what do you, what do you think defines your dominant story? You know? And it can be a really disturbing question for people. Sometimes they're like, Whoa, Whoa, I don't don't know, you know, or they start sharing, you know, and it's interesting to see how the dominant story in our culture changes over time. You know? used to very much clearly be, you know, there was like the American dream, which was like, I'm going to get good grades in school so I can go to my dream school so I could get my dream job. So I, I can, you know, marry my dream spouse and then, you know, buy our dream house and then have our dream kids and, you know, and eventually have my dream 401k. So I can eventually have my dream retirement. And uh, that really drove a generation of people as a, a dominant narrative, yeah. you know? And I think there was a lot of collateral damage out of that, you know, like with Gen Xers and kind of moving forward, 
in the American story where it's like, oof, we don't see, ugh, we don't want, there's got to be something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so the offer that we have from Jesus is he's offering us the, the better story yeah. um, that we can live in, a story where everyone can find the deepest purpose, transformation, belonging that they're looking for. And that the Bible is actually the source for us to discover that story. And we just recognize the Bible can be confusing. It can be intimidating. It, it's been weaponized by a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, I, it's like, ugh, I don't even know if I want to hear out of that book. Um, but let's also remember some people read this book and engage this book and they become amazingly loving, mm. wise, centered and good. And, and Jesus said, we need every, uh, what is it? Jot and tittle. Yeah. Cross, <laughs> cross the T's dot the I's. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's literally so how what do that we, idea means. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So how do we engage the, the scriptures the way that Jesus did? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. That's what we're going back to, man. Yeah. I was like, I'm still trying to figure out, are you walking me through it or am I getting to participate here? Yeah. So we're doing I, it together, man. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. So sorry for those that are uh, listening. That's uh, this is uncomfortable. So wait, wait, pause the tape. Let's do some side commentary. Basically what you did there. That's it's sort of the introduction. Yeah. Like you're having a conversation with someone about like, what's your dominant story? What's our culture's dominant story? How's that working for us? Is it working? You know? Mm. And then it's this idea that Jesus is the one who wants to give us the better story. Yeah. And, and do we know what that is? Mm -hmm. And apparently it's in the Bible, but there's some ways to read the Bible where you don't actually discover that. And there's other ways that you do, and it changes you in a, an amazing way. So that's right. kind of the, the big idea. Yeah. That's your, of, it's kind of the, the first move. Yeah, the introduction yep. to the conversation. And oftentimes we would say a great time to share this with somebody is when they're sitting in a crisis where their story just got wrecked. Yeah. And they're going, or when people are engaging the Bible for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of our neighbors went and bought a new Bible and she, she was literally like, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was literally what she asked me. Yeah. Like, this is a really big book. <laughs> this is going to take me a while. And it's, it's different from other books. Like yeah. you just start flipping through it. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is a different animal. Someone help me. Yeah. So I got out the story diamond. Right. Let me help you. Yeah. And <laughs> when I say when somebody's story is wrecked, where it's like, this actually becomes um, a tool to bring good news in that moment. You were finding your identity in some other story. But let me tell you about a bigger story that's available for you. And yeah. we find that story in the Bible. Yeah. So we've done kind of two introductory moves, and then we would move into uh, just beginning to move through, hey, in its essence, like at the core, the Bible isn't actually 66 books with a whole bunch of tiny little stories inside of that, but it's actually one big story. There is this, this Rob used this language of meta-narrative. There's this larger story that is actually being written. So like when we say it's not like other books, because you're thinking, well, there's all these books and they're disconnected. We would, we would also say it kind of is like these other books <laughs> in the mm -hmm. sense that there is one big story. Uh, and, and when we talk about, you know, the story diamond, we begin to introduce it. We would say like the story diamond or the, the Bible is like a diamond and it has these facets. Mm -hmm. Like if you turn a diamond, you see, um, 
you see different angles of it and you see the beauty from different ways and the way that it reflects the light and um so so all of that so the and bible the diamond is you know the most precious stone so like mm. this is the most precious yeah story you know so a lot of people have read scripture and we've talked about this they end up becoming very judgmental or arrogant because they're seeing it as rules they're seeing it as these little tiny stories of this, I need to do this now and I need to apply it to this thing of my life. But the Bible really, like the grand story, calls us out of just this reductive way to read Scripture and calls us into the bigger story. And so the first facet that we have to see is, yeah, we've been saying it, the Bible is a story. And when we read it and see this broader narrative that is at work, we see that uh, all of these smaller stories are actually building this this bigger like God's story. All of history is His story. Like, sorry, that I know I know people have said that before. In some ways, it's like super cheesy that history is His story. But like, that's the beauty of it is the the text that we have. This is God's story written down, and what we have is the way that God has interacted in the world. Right? It's the it's what He's done. It's in the past, but it's also addressing our world, our present. It's also addressing the future and what he will do in all things. And so the ultimate meaning of our stories can really only be discovered when we first understand that the Bible and its first facet is one grand narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you take and, it. Yeah, and in facet number two, uh, that story has four movements to it. And when we say movements, we're referring back to either if you listen to movie soundtracks or if you like classical music, they'll have different movements. And each movement is basically its own melody, but they all connect to each other. And what's cool about movements is they get in a good soundtrack or in a good classical piece, like they get repeated over and over again, and they sort of integrate with one another. And that's what it's like. There's these four movements. There's four songs that you're going to hear over and over again. And they're all connected to each other into this beautiful masterpiece uh, that we're being invited to actually pick up our instrument and play along with it. Like mm-hmm. I got, I have to begin to play my role in God's orchestra. And those four movements then, or four songs are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Uh, so this the story in one sentence is God made it. That's creation. We broke it. That's the fall. Jesus fixes it. That's redemption. And we get to join him in that project of restoring all things. And that's restoration. And this is the story uh, that we get to participate in. And uh, so the first facet is creation. Uh, That God created us. He made this world as his temple. He placed us inside of it as his image bearers, his representatives, his co-creators, and his priests, his kings, and creation is good, very good. It's the overflow of the love and the joy and the community between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, the one word that sums it up, especially in the Old Testament, is the word shalom. Mm. And it's this picture of everything being just as it should be, of universal flourishing and wholeness and delight and we ache for that we long for that it's interesting you know c.s lewis used to say what you know um you don't hunger for something 
that you don't have an appetite for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like th- there's, you don't see fish going, man, am I so thirsty? <laughs> <laughs> Just thirsty. Right? He's like, why do we ache for beauty? Why yeah. do we ache for justice? Right. Why do we ache for good news? And this goes back to the creation era because that, that is what we were made for. Yeah. And then we jacked it up. So I'm going to hand it off to <laughs> so We to broke it. Yeah. <laughs> there is the breaking of Shalom. I, I love this part of the story and, and telling the story in this way that in the, in that first move is creation and it's the universal flourishing of God in all things. We've used that language before and then we broke it. So there's the fall. That's the second move. So humanity rebelled. Shalom was broken. So the way we describe that again, this is like, we're talking about even a way to good news people by telling them the whole story is in the beginning, God created all things like there was flourishing between God and people and between people and each other and between people and creation and even flourishing within ourselves. But the fall is now there's disharmony and separation. The shalom was broken. It's no longer there. There's not universal flourishing between God and people. There's not flourishing between people and each other and between people and creation and even in ourselves. And we see that everywhere. We see how we mess up creation. We see how in our own souls we feel uh, a disjointedness sometimes or oftentimes or however you want to see that. And so the second move is fall. And then we move to the third phase. Right. And typically this is where I left folks know like, Hey, creation and fall. We're really, really we're in quick. the book of Genesis. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're in Genesis one, two, and three. We're right at the beginning of the story. And we're learning who God is again, that he's a creator and a sustainer, you know, that we're, we're learning that we're co-creators and image bearers. And, um, it's, it's, it's powerful mm-hmm. uh, to have that sense of who God is and who we are. And then, um, moving now from kind of Genesis four forward is this story of redemption. And as soon as things fall apart, so Adam and Eve choose um, themselves over God, themselves over each other, um, themselves over the created order and things start to spin out of control in short order. We have our first murder. Mm. Um, And then things continue to spin out of control. Like the Bible basically shows things escalating it's like well it's first it's brothers and then it's tribes and then there's this evil empire yeah. you know babble it's like oh this is going crazy everything's spinning out of control with brokenness and and violence and uh and it's just heartbreaking but from the very first moment that that started you know they're hiding adam and eve in shame with these fig leaves and he calls them he's like where are you Mm-hmm. I come out of your shame. Come on, look at my face. Yeah, I want to see yours. I know it's broken, and I'm not gonna, you know, touch you with a a, a thunderbolt and incinerate you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, he's like, here, here, put on these garments. Mm. He's covering them already. Mm. You know, and it's it's this symbol of grace. I'm covering you. Yeah. You know. And, he, and then after the first murder happens, you know, uh, he basically says, listen, you know, Cain and Abel, he's like, I'm going to put a mark on you. Mm. And it's actually a warning label. Like no one do to him what you did to your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's, let, let's stop this. Yeah. Stop it now. Let's stop it. You know? And, and 
God's just coming with redemption. And even at the, the original moment, like he's promising, like, okay, there's a snake that's, you know, bitten, but there's an offspring coming. who's going to crush the head of the snake. Yeah. You know, so there's this promise of redemption and, and God then creates this redemptive community through Abraham. He calls him out and he says, man, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham hadn't done anything to deserve that. So it's unmerited favor. It's just grace. And he's like, I'm going to be in relationship with you. And it's going to be a treasured relationship. And you're going to join me in this great plan to redeem, you know, and, and Israel, um, they never really keep their part of the deal very well. They're just like us. They continue to lose their way. And, uh, and all the way through though, the prophets keep pointing towards this future Messiah that's coming and this future world where Shalom is going to be restored. And then Jesus steps in Mm. and God comes to earth in Jesus and he's fully God and he's fully man. He's tempted every way we are. He has to go through all the suffering that we go through. And yet Jesus does it all without failing, without sin, without compromising. He keeps the covenant that we never could. And he begins to announce good news and he begins to demonstrate the beauty and the justice and the goodness of the kingdom with his life and with his miracles and by creating this new community and then his death and his resurrection. He's, he's basically taking that covenant faithfulness and his righteousness and he's, he's giving it to those that are willing to receive it. We're being invited, not based on our merits or ethnicity anymore, but by grace through faith. Yeah. And, and, it's a free gift and God became like us so that we could become like him. And we actually receive the, his presence in the Holy spirit, God in us, God with us, God for us, God in us and through us. And it's the best news, but we have to decide. Um, do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Hmm. Do we believe in the historical reality of his life, his death and his resurrection? And are we willing to, uh, Look at him and say, you're my teacher. You're my leader. You're my Lord. Um, I'm going to apprentice my life to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. I want to move from unbelief to belief in every area of life. And uh, that's when we become a disciple of Jesus and we receive amazing grace. So that's, that's redemption. But the best part of the story, believe it or not, is still coming. Yeah, that's it. And I, you know, just rem- remembering again, God clothed them in the garden, and it's like this picture of grace. And then Paul writes to the Corinthians that Jesus clothes us in righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so again, you see these elements of the story coming through. And so again, the the, the second facet of the story diamond is the that there are four movements. So we've hit creation, we've hit fall, and we've hit redemption. And the fourth part of this is restoration. Uh, so restoration is looking kind of at the story of Acts through Revelation 19, uh, or the first part of it, is there's this proclamation that restoration is happening, it's coming in its fullness, it's here, but it's not here yet in its fullness, so there's this already not yet principle we talk about, it's already here, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And we read in these these stories of the New Testament that you know, Israel was first designed to be this new community that God would use to bless the world. So that's that Old Testament story. He wanted them to bless them, to bless the world. We read stories of of how they did that and how they didn't do that. 
Um, and then Jesus creates this new community called the church for this purpose as well. All are invited to be a part of it, and we actually exist to join in that universal mission of making disciples in all nations, seeing the kingdom come in all of the earth. And the Bible makes this claim that Jesus is physically present on earth through this new community, through the church, through through us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And then we would say that there is that not yet part of restoration that is coming that we read in the last chapter. three chapters or so there in Revelation 20 through 22, that there's this new heaven and this new earth, and we're waiting for that full restoration of all things to be complete. And we believe this. At the second coming, evil will be judged. Heaven and earth will collide. They'll commingle completely. Like there will be a decisive end to all of the broken things. Everything will be made right. Everything will be made whole. And that universal flourishing, that shalom, we will see it in its fullness. And the Bible describes this as this new heaven, this new earth. And until then, we actually get to join him in bringing the shalom on earth as it is in heaven. So we say when Jesus prayed, let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he he meant that, right? His resurrection is something that is really a part of, of the, the fullness of the kingdom, way down the road, but Jesus, with the resurrection, like the kingdom broke into the present. Like we would say, in the fullness of the kingdom, there are no lonely people. So we get to join Jesus in bringing the kingdom on earth when we befriend those that are lonely. In the kingdom, there are no no one, um, no one's fatherless or motherless, and so we join Jesus in bringing the fullness of the kingdom when we care for the orphan when we care for the widow, right? Like, this is how the story plays out. This is why we have to see there's this big story of there was the fullness of shalom in the beginning. We messed that up, but God was coming to restore shalom. He does it through Jesus. We're invited to bring shalom because one day the fullness, that universal flourishing is coming again, and we get to join what God is doing here and now. So the story reveals to us what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And so these are the first two facets of of the story diamond. And ultimately, all of that is summed up in the person of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and return. So this moves us to facet three. That's right. So facet one is the Bible is the story. Facet two, the story has four movements, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And and the, the Bible... There, there is this climax in the life of Jesus that helps us understand this most important question. It's the answer to it. Like, who is God? Mm. What is he like? And Jesus is the answer to that question. Uh, he is the center of the story. And that's the third facet. Jesus is the center of the story. Uh, if you could see the diamond in front of you, you'd see that there's a cross in the middle of the diamond. It looks like a kite. And that cross reminds us that Jesus is the center of the story because Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. So every smaller story in the Bible points to him. All of creation, the whole story of Israel, uh, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the prophets, the, the movement called the church, they all find their origin and their fulfillment in Jesus. So he is the highest, most definitive, 
revelation of God to humanity. He is the full meaning of God's story. And there's three, three verses that are my favorite verses, actually Hebrews chapter one, it says in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the radiance of God's glory, which means when God shines, he looks like Jesus. Come on. And he is the exact representation of God's essence, which means Jesus is God. In other words, it's not so much that Jesus is like God. God is like Jesus all the way down to the core. What we see in Jesus is who our God is. So he is the absolute, full, unqualified revelation of God. Not just one among others. Jesus sums it up. He completes all the others. So he holds the whole story together. Jesus is the interpretive key to understanding the story and our story. And Jesus is, in essence, what you could call uh, the diamond. (laughs) He is the most precious of persons. And the Bible is the most precious of books because it is the portal by which we Mm. uh, can know him. And the Bible makes some stunning claims. It claims to be God breathed. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's infallible in its authority uh, to when it's under the inspiration, you know, when we're reading this with the posture of humility and being willing to be influenced by the Holy spirit, it will rightly lead us to Jesus. Mm. So, um, to understand the Bible, um, this kind of leads to the next facet. Like it's really important. We, we need to let the story shape us. So I'm gonna hand it off to Brian. Um, we've got this story that's revealing us who God is. Um, but the story's not over, right? So fast and forward, we're invited to let the story shape us. Yeah. And you know, what we've been doing is kind of the way that I would teach this or share this is just slowing down every now and then, continuing to review it. You know, again, this is what I'm doing with my kids. What's facet number one? The Bible's a story. What's facet number two? There are four moves. What are they? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Facet number three, Jesus is at the center of the story. Facet number four, we are invited to let the story shape us. And so, uh, in this way, there is an invitation for us not to just read the story uh, for information, but to read the story for transformation. We want the story to shape our lives. And we want to read the story. We want to let it shape us in some specific ways. And so the ways that we talk about are spirit-led, first of all. like The Bible is a book written like many others. And can there be like it can be understood by anyone who's able to read or now listen to, right? We have it in so many different formats. But it's unique and that it's inspired by God. So Rob was talking about that. Um and, and it does claim to be breathed out by God in Second Timothy and and it's its writers spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that. And to understand the story we must have our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, so we, we need to come and every time we approach scripture to invite the spirit to bring illumination and understanding to us. 
not to try to manufacture our understanding out of it and like go in and pull out our meaning, but to say, Spirit, help me hear your voice so that I can respond to you and what you're saying in this. The second way uh, of just letting it shape us and understanding is to remember that it's historically grounded. We talked about this, that the story is grounded in literary and historical context, that the scripture has different genres within it. We talked about history and poetry and prophecy and the apocalyptic. Uh, and, And we have to understand that, again, it was written to a people first. And so there was a meaning uh, of the original audience would have understood. And we need to seek that out. And there will be times where we have to do some digging, right? We got to pull out some commentaries. We got to pull out some some other helps that help us understand this passage that I'm reading. Its original audience understood it this way. And before I make the jump to applying that to my life, I need to understand how they would have heard it and what that original purpose was. Mm-hmm. So the third way would be Jesus-centered. Like We keep coming back to Jesus at the center. This is the third way. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. They were devoted students of Scripture, right? I mean, they knew it backwards and forwards, but they failed to see Jesus at the center of the story. Mm-hmm. And we need to elevate Jesus at the center of the story. So as you read the story from Genesis to Revelation, you'll notice that there is, again, that coherent story. Again, we're reviewing here. We're going back. What's the coherent story? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we would say that they're not equal themes in the way that the Bible treats them. Most of the story is given to really the unfolding of the third of these, the great drama of redemption through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But this redemption is set against the backdrop of creation and the fall. Right? We need this redemption, and it really finds its fullness in the restoration of all things. Uh, and so, Rob, I want you to talk about this last one, which is just that it's communally enhanced and why it's so important to, um, that's, that's not the last one, but just why it's so important to read communally. It's important to read the story alone, absolutely. And it's clear that, for example, when you begin to really analyze Jesus' words or any of the scripture writers, you can tell um, their minds have been totally immersed in the scriptures. Uh, They're making allusions. The New Testament writers are making thousands of allusions to the Old Testament. Um, And that's not going to happen without us sitting down alone and studying the scriptures. Uh, and we need to just immerse and wash our minds in the scriptures, but we can go so much deeper together by reading the story in community, because in community, you're going to benefit from the wisdom, the understanding, the support, the encouragement, and the accountability we need to actually live out the story. Mm. Um, we're very committed to this discovery-based way of engaging the Bible, like let's go in together and ask what the Holy Spirit's highlighting to us, but also obedience-based, like, let's write an I will statement. How, because uh, Jesus said, teach to obey, you know? And when I share that in my community, then there's support. Mm. You know, last night in our Discovery Bible study, um, the Lord's really been speaking to our community about um, unforgiveness for a couple months. And we were going through Matthew 6, Jesus' instructions on prayer. And he talks about, unforgiveness in quite stark language. And one of the folks in our community afterwards was 
you know, right here in my will statement. And she's like, I need to pray by name for the people that I can't forgive right now. Oh man. I know. And, and when, see, it's one thing for her to say that alone in her bedroom, right? right, right it's right. another thing to say it with your extended spiritual family who are now going to pray for you yeah. and then check in. How's that going? What's God doing in your heart Yeah. as you're praying for those people? See that, that's what leads to transformation. And that, and now we've spilled right into the last one. It's personally applied. Um, like unlike other books that we read and then we're finished, we're never finished reading the story Yeah, uh, because we're not trying to master it. We're trying to let it master us. Mm. You know, we're not just reading it. We're trying to let it read us. And the Bible gets compared to the, uh, to being food. Yeah. It's like, it's bread, it's manna. And if we're going to be healthy, we need to be eating it every single day. Mm. And so the story, like you said earlier, isn't just here for our information. It's for our transformation. We encourage people start with one of the gospels, you know, read a chapter every day, meet with others, discuss the story, get to an I will statement. And, uh, and the questions we encourage people to use, you've heard these before. It's <laughs> like, it let's, is there, let's read the passage. Someone retell it in their own words. You know, what does it tell us about God? Uh, what does it tell us about people in general? Uh, what is it saying specifically to me? What will I do about it? Write an I will statement. And lastly, who can I share this with? Yeah. And that way it continues to spread virally. What's beautiful to me is we're right back to DBS, right? I mean, Discovery Bible Study is a way to study the scripture. And we started this conversation last week with, hey, what's beyond DBS? Well, I mean, yeah, there's some formation things and there's a way to get into some systematic theology and learn this and that. But we don't want to encumber uh, a rapid reproducing disciple making experience for people we we do want to see that but we also don't want people to be stuck we don't want to just like not understand that there's a bigger narrative to be a part of and the story diamond that we just walked through gives us that bigger narrative that we can understand all that we're reading and all that we're learning in light of what god has done what he's uh, doing in our lives now what he wants to do in the world and after we walk through this, it takes you all the way back down to, so study scripture through the process of a discovery-based way, you know? And so it, it, this, again, I compare it to the picture on the side of the, the puzzle that you're putting together. That now understanding that the Bible is this great big story with these four movements and Jesus is at the center of the story and we're invited into the story. Now when I read scripture, I have a framework through which to see what I'm reading and understand it in light of that bigger image, in light of the bigger picture. And now it's reflecting back to me how God invites me into the story and now I can see the world through this story as well. Like, how am I telling my own story through creation, fall, redemption, restoration? How am I helping other people understand their creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and how Jesus can come in and rewrite that narrative in new ways, redeeming and restoring all things. So there it is. That's the story diamond. Rob, any final thoughts? Well, again, Brian mentioned it. Um, Man, please uh, jump over to the website, download the PDF and um, give it a shot this week. I literally have the PDF open in front of you. It's fine. That's why it's there. (laughs) And just explain it to somebody, walk through it with somebody um, and just start with the four in the training document. There's a four minute version, the extended version. Just try to start with that short version 
And then especially go back. There's some really great notes and discussion questions on the backside of it. And then we also have uh, two training videos as well um, that will, again, basically do what this podcast did. So you're pretty, you're probably good to go with just this podcast. But if you want the training videos, hit up Brian at kcunderground.org. I'll tell you and, what I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do with this. It's not those. So the things that you mentioned, we we've put them on our resources and gatherings page of our website in a different format. So the PDF and the videos aren't there, but what I will do is post them at kcunderground.podbean.org. Yeah, show notes. So if you go to kcunderground.podbean.com um, and you find this podcast listed there, I'll, I'll drop all of the stuff that Rob mentioned in that space. There's this awesome key scripture section two, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, here are the key passages for each part of or each facet. Um, and like under facet two, for example, we have the story of the Bible in 20 passages from the Bible, which is kind of cool, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just, there's a deeper well to get in, get into and, and we worked really hard on it. So we want you to go to the well, <laughs> use it. It's here for you. Indeed. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. We may do another tool. Uh, we may do some more conversation about why formation is important. And uh, we love you, Underground. If you need coaching, reach out to us. Have a great week. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to the Underground Podcast. We hope that it's either been an encouragement to you or that it's created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or a microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so we can learn about what you are doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement, that leads to the emergence of microchurches in every network within your city. We'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.